0: We started a new series a couple of weeks ago called The People Jesus Met, and uh, we are looking at the stories in the gospel of interactions that Jesus had with different people. Now, these aren't the people that show up over and over throughout the story. These are normally people that'll have one little interaction with Jesus, but there's something about that interaction that informs us who he is, and in those interactions, we can find some relationship to those people and get a sense of how Jesus is speaking to us even today. Last week, we talked about the Samaritan woman and how Jesus went to her, sought her out, it seems intentionally, to uh, encourage her, to reveal himself to her, to show who he was. And she became the first person to whom he directly told that he was the son of God. And through her, a community came to believe. This week, I was getting ready for uh, this sermon and I had in mind to do Zacchaeus and I was preparing and looking at the text and it's a very short story the story of Zacchaeus and I kept trying to find okay what what is the heart of this story how can I uh, encapsulate this in the right way and describe it last week we we had an outcast what is Zacchaeus and I had I had something going something in mind and then I realized that another one of the lessons I had prepared to do occurs in the previous chapter, and I started reading it, and I noticed that the two stories uh, go hand-in-hand with one another. The two interactions that occur in Luke chapter 18 and then in chapter 19 with Zacchaeus are very, very similar, but they tell a different story. And um, And that is all about how those people responded to Christ and to their interaction with him But in terms of similarities, uh, this is the story of Jesus meeting the seekers. Last week, he met the outcast, the Samaritan woman. And this week, Jesus meets the seekers, those who are seeking him, but they're not, these two stories, they're not seeking him for the same reason. So this is a compare and contrast kind of lesson today that we're going to look at. The first story we'll go to is in Luke chapter 18. Go ahead and open your Bible and turn to chapter 18, verse 18. And we'll read about a man we call the rich young ruler. Let's begin here. A ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Now we'll stop there for a moment. Uh, We don't know much about this guy. We know that we call him the rich young ruler. He's not actually called that in the text. It's said that he's a a ruler, and later it'll be indicated that he has great wealth, but um, the rich young ruler comes mostly from tradition and from chapter headings that publishers have put in place on on our scriptures. But here is a man of wealth, of importance, of prominence. Maybe he inherited it. Maybe he's a businessman. Maybe he engages in commerce. Uh, Perhaps he is uh, in some sort of governing capacity over a municipality where he has people working under him. He has power. He has notoriety. He has something that makes him important. And he also has the ability to transact for that which he needs. Now, look what he says to Jesus. Now, he, he's seeking Jesus. He seeks Jesus out to talk to him, to ask him a question. And he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life. Now notice that question. What is this man looking for? He He's looking for the secret ingredient. He's looking for the special treatment. You know, we have people in our society that don't play by the same rules as everyone else. When you or I get ill and we need medical attention, we've got to deal with insurance and finding the right doctor, and if it's something serious that needs a specialty care, we've got to get a referral, we got to try to get into this specialty clinic, try to find the best place near us or, or in the country to go to. When someone of means comes down with the same illness, they don't have to, uh, to abide by the same rules we do. They can travel all over the world. They have connections, and they have money, and they can get moved to the top of lists, and they can get uh, penciled into the schedule, They don't have to wait in the same line we do. And here was someone of great wealth and he is doing the exact same thing. He's trying to get the secret. What's the thing you're not telling the rest of us? What's the thing that I can get so that I can go to heaven so that I can know? That's what he's wanting. You see, this man's whole life is a transactional relationship. If he sees something and he wants it, he buys it. If he needs something, he uses his influence to get it. And he always uh, has that in. He always has kind of the the deal going on uh, that he can get that no one else can get. He is approaching God or Jesus here and he is in fact seeking him, but he's seeking him in a self-seeking way. His seeking of Jesus is meant to justify his own self-seeking in asking for the one ingredient, the one thing he needed to do, the one thing that he lacked, because Jesus gives him the commandments. He gives him the old law. And the guy says, and frankly, quite arrogantly, I've done all that. I've kept the commandments. I've kept the rules. I know that. I've kept it perfectly. I've done a great job. What's the secret? What do I need to do to get to heaven? Just tell me what I need to do, what I need to give What I to, to God in terms of my my living. And I now I'll, I'll go to heaven. That's all I want. He's looking for a transaction. He's looking for a transactional relationship. And what he's doing is not seeking Jesus. He is seeking himself. And he's seeking to depose God from his throne. Do you know that's what we do when we think that way? When we think transactionally with God, and when we think we do good, we get good. If if we are if we if we keep the law good enough, if we do everything just right, we'll get into heaven. Do you know that removes God from his throne in our minds? You probably don't think of it that way. When we think that we have the capacity to earn and deserve eternal life as this man does, you know, he's asking what can I do? What's the thing I need to do to get to heaven? Not what, well, you know, what do you want me to do, Jesus? What is your will in my life? What do you have to teach me? He comes to him and says, I've done everything I need to do. I'm looking for a way to get to the front of the line. What do I what do I need to do? what type of transaction needs to occur. When we think that way, God is no longer God. If our eternal salvation rests in our hands, what place does God have in the equation? He's supposed to stand in judgment of us one day. If our merit gets us in, he has nothing to judge. We take God off the throne when we are self-centered and self-seeking about our salvation. And that's what this young man was. He says to Jesus, I've kept all these Rule since my youth. Jesus heard this and he said, One thing you still lack sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Jesus knew right where to hit him, didn't he? He knew what was most important to this man. He knew what would get him, and he knew what would reveal and strip away all of this to get to the heart of what this man was seeking. He wasn't seeking Jesus for Jesus. He was seeking Jesus to justify his own transactional relationship with God. I will find this teacher. I will find this guru. I will find this rabbi. I'll find this new thing. He's the newest thing out there. So I'm going to go find him and I'm going to go ask him what I need to do. I've kept all the laws. I just want to guarantee that I get in. I want my ticket punched. And so I'm going to ask him, what do I need to do? He doesn't care about following Jesus. He doesn't care about giving up his lifestyle. He doesn't care about making sacrifice. He wants to be justified in his self-centered attitude. And that is why he seeks Jesus. And Jesus hits him where it hurts and he says, give everything you have away and come follow me. Seek after me, not after your own glorification, Verse 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, uh, some have taken this to mean that Jesus had some sort of uh, an income limit when it came to salvation. I don't remember there being anything in the Bible about W-2s being checked whenever we get to heaven. Uh, I don't think that's the case. And uh, the proof I have of that is the next story, the story of Zacchaeus. Remember I said we're going to do some compare and contrast. Zacchaeus is a wealthy man, but his interaction goes completely differently. Now just before we move on, let's wrap up the rich young ruler here. Here is a seeker. He comes to Jesus, but he's not seeking Jesus. He's seeking himself, and he's seeking a leg up. He's seeking uh, a step ahead. He's seeking special treatment. He wants to know from the great teacher, the great rabbi, what it is that he needs to do to earn that which he is after, his own glorification. Now, when Jesus says this about how hard it is, there's some truth to it. There's some practical truth. Wealth destroys our ability to... Uh, place our faith and trust in Jesus. When we have means, we we trust in ourselves. We become convinced that we are the ones who are doing all this. If you look back in history, you can see the times when the church grew the most, and when there was a a, a greater sense of faith even throughout our nation. Look at times like the Great Depression. In the Great Depression, you have um, songs that are written about streets of gold and pearly gates and mansions over the hilltop we don't write those songs in times of prosperity because i have a plenty of square footage some land and a couple cars and some flat screen tvs so i don't need that so what jesus says here is 100 correct it is a challenge to have means, and to place our faith in God, because it's hard to remember that we are helpless and hopeless without Jesus. But by contrast, there are, there are plenty of, uh, of poor people in the world who are just as self-centered and self-seeking as this rich young ruler was. Nevertheless, we see Jesus meeting one who is seeking him, but he's not seeking him for the right reasons. He doesn't get the answer he wants, and so he walks away. But now let's look at another rich man. This was Zacchaeus. Look at Luke 19, verse 1. What I love about Luke, by the way, um, and, and as you study the Gospels, you understand that they came to be in different ways. Our Bible class on Sunday mornings, we're doing the Gospel of John. It was written very late in uh, in, the, in the chronology of New Testament writings in the latter part of the first century but you have Matthew and Mark and Luke, which were written sometime earlier. And scholars have talked a a lot about the source material for the Gospels and where it comes from. It seems that there is, uh, that they borrowed from one another and they read one another and they used one another's work. Uh, The Gospel of Mark, for instance, seems to be based on some of the things that are written, uh, seems to actually be probably contributed to by Peter, that Mark uh, maybe. Took dictation from Peter because there's a lot in there that indicates Peter is one of the sources of the material. Matthew, in his writing, there seems to be an indication that he's using Mark as source material, and all of them seem to be using something else, but no one really knows what it is. Scholars call it Q, that they're all using this same uh, source material for the uh, uh, biographical information about Jesus. But despite that, they all kind of have these different characteristics. And Luke's gospel, what I love about Luke's gospel, by the way, is that he did a lot of research. And you can tell by how he describes events happening because he speaks about the thoughts that are going on in someone's head that he could not know had he not talked to them. So Luke interviewed people. Now, Luke is the only place this story is recorded It's very likely that Luke, uh, while maybe the apostles or the sources for the other gospels didn't think it that big of a deal, Luke did. And he wanted to talk to everybody who talked to Jesus. It's possible Luke went to this town of Jericho and he found Zacchaeus. And can you imagine Zacchaeus in his older age telling the story? Or someone from the town reminiscing about the day that Jesus came through and about This man, Zacchaeus. Let's read it. He entered Jericho and was passing through. This is Jesus. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, which, by the way, that that name means purity. So uh, the name Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. That's a beautiful way Luke writes that. He was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. No doubt about it. And that would have been very common. You know, the tax collector situation was very much like the way we see the mafia described in in how they ran their rackets. Back in the day when organized crime was a little more glorified than it is now, uh, the way it worked is each family kind of had their own territory in a city, maybe Chicago, maybe New York. Uh, they all had their own neighborhood, their own territory, their own place where they operated. And they would go, say you opened a donut shop, they would go into your donut shop. A couple guys would come in, they'd say, hey, uh, see you're opening a new donut shop. You know, we, um, we provide protection in this neighborhood. It's a rough rough place, and you're going to need some protection. And so for a cut of your profits, uh, we will provide protection for your business so you can operate here. Now, someone might say, well, I don't need protection. I'll take care of myself. No, thanks. I don't want to give you any of my profits. And then they would say that line that you hear in the movies, it's a nice donut shop you got here. Boy, sure would be a shame if something should happen to it. That kind of suggestion that it wasn't uh, the, the people that the elements of crime in the neighborhood that they were protecting you from they were protecting you from themselves that's called a racket and that's why they would be you know it, it, when the government was able to get a hold of these people they charged them with things called racketeering because they had set up this situation whereby they would terrorize you damage your property uh, threaten your life unless you uh, agreed to pay them to protect you from them. And so the tax collector situation in Jerusalem was very similar in the first century. Rome controlled Jerusalem effectively. Okay. Rome was the occupying governing power, but they let the Jews do their own thing. But they would, uh, it would come time, you know, to, to hire people to collect taxes because Rome did extract taxes from the people in its territory and they would hire these independent contractors these locals and they would come in and they would say you know hey it's time to collect taxes how much do you think you can collect for us and the men would bid on this job and they would say how many how much how much money they thought they could raise and whoever gave the bid the highest number well they got hired And it was their job then to collect what they bid that they could collect. And anything they got over that was their profit. And so they were incentivized to go out and extract and shake down their neighbors, their countrymen, their family, their fellow Jews. These were scum. These were traitors. They were hated. And here's Zacchaeus, the tax collector. A cheat, by the way. A swindler. A scam artist a shakedown artist, a racketeer. And Jesus is coming to his town. And I don't know why, and it doesn't tell us, but he wanted to see Jesus. He had heard about him, maybe. he he, he Someone had told him. He had, he'd heard something. He knew the story. He wanted to see Jesus. He was seeking something, just like the rich young ruler, but he was seeking something different. Let's read. Zacchaeus, verse 3, was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. It's a very nice way of putting that. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. He wants to see the Lord. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. Now, can you imagine being Zacchaeus? You want to see Jesus. You've heard about him and there's something about him. You, despite everything you are, and maybe it's the guilt, maybe it's your conscience, maybe it's the sin that you know is in your life, maybe it's the what you've done to your friends and your neighbors and your countrymen, but you want to see Jesus because you think he has some kind of answer, so much so that you'll go ahead of the crowd, you'll climb in a tree like a silly fool, an adult climbing in a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And when he walks by, he looks up at you. And he notices you. And he says he's coming to your house. By the way, that's an important thing. In Semitic culture, in the Arab world, you are who you eat with. When you go to someone's house to eat, you are endorsing them and everything about them. And they are accepting you and everything about you. And they are now responsible for you because they fed you. That's how their culture works. And it did at that time, too. So when Zacchaeus has Jesus into his house, there's a lot of grumbling and complaining. He hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, that's the crowd, they all began to grumble, saying, he is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You can imagine the uproar this caused. Now, on the one hand, the previous story, we had this noble, rich, young ruler, well-respected, highly esteemed by his peers. A lot of power, lot of authority, a lot of influence. He came seeking himself through Jesus, not Jesus for himself. And here is Zacchaeus seeking simply the Son of God, and he finds him. And soon he becomes a guest in his home, and those around him don't see him as a person of influence or high stature or or great respect. They see him as a, a cheat and a swindler and a scam artist, and that's what he was. But Zacchaeus wasn't seeking Jesus for himself. He wasn't seeking himself through Jesus, as the rich young ruler did. He was seeking Jesus because he felt something that drew him there. And in verse 7, at the, or excuse me, in verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give it back four times as much. He is doing the very thing that Jesus prescribed to the rich young ruler that he would refuse to do because that was a step too far. That was hitting him where it hurt. And here is Zacchaeus, a man who has built his wealth on the backs of his friends and neighbors, volunteering. Jesus didn't say anything, at least nothing we have recorded. But just the very presence of Jesus, because Zacchaeus had an open heart that was truly seeking and truly wanting to know him, volunteers, I'm going to pay back with interest what I've taken, and I'm going to take half of what I what I own, and I'm going to give it away. I'm done with this life. I want to follow you. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham, that is, he's a Jew, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus makes a very true statement. Now, he, he could, on the one hand, be talking about the, the eternal destination of Zacchaeus's soul. He may have inherited, in that moment, eternal life. By his selflessness and his seeking of Jesus for the sake of seeking Jesus, his open heart, and his good attitude of helplessness and hopelessness in all but Christ. He received what the rich young ruler was looking for. But there's another way in which this verse has meaning. When Jesus stepped across the threshold of this home, it is true in a very literal sense that salvation came to that house. Jesus is salvation. Seeking him is an important step in us finding that salvation and an open heart that seeks him not out of a transactional attitude of what we can do and how we can be glorified, but out of an earnest and humble attitude that says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm not worthy, but I'm going to do everything I can to be worthy of who you are. We don't approach Jesus with arrogance. We don't approach Jesus with the pride of people who have kept the law perfectly. We climb up in a tree just to get a glimpse. And he welcomes us and we welcome him. And he dwells with us. And shares a meal with us. And calls us his own. Jesus met the seekers And he showed us how we are to seek after him.